You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. It is Monday, October 12th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, and I'm joined right now by Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. Chris, you've you've had a long day, huh? Sunday night, you drove back from from Dallas to Austin uh, this afternoon. You watched your Cowboys have a have an emotional game uh, with a Dak Prescott injury and then the the field goal to win. So, I bet you're pretty tired and you're probably kind of hoping that we make this podcast short and sweet. Yeah, let's let's get to it, man. I know there's a lot to talk about, and uh, I think we're gonna have some takes here coming out of the weekend, which I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, so usually we record this recap episode on a Sunday morning when everything's really fresh in our mind. You know, you just wrote overtime, I just edited it. Like we've just slept for six hours and right got right back to it. It's Sunday night. I was kind of thinking, hey, let's try something different. We're gonna do winners and losers, and we got we put our heads together. We we chose three winners from the weekend and three losers. Um, they're not all the winners are are a team. Some of them are people, our conferences or our um, networks. So I'll get started, Chris. Um, Let's let's start with let's start with the winners. Uh, first one. What do you think about Urban Meyer being a big winner from the weekend? He wasn't even involved in, except you know for being on Fox Fox's big uh, big big noon show. Um, but Texas fans with with another loss are circling Tom Herman like sharks, and they're calling for him to be fired, and they're calling for Urban Meyer to be hired and to to try to save and resuscitate a third college football program after Urban did that at, at Florida, won two national titles, did it at Ohio State, won a natty. His his ending there in Columbus was not good. I think Texas fans are willing to sweep that under the rug, though, if it means that that Tom Herman can go by and uh, Urban Meyer can come in and, and, and try to get this program back to glory. Yeah. I have no idea what Tom – or I have no idea what Urban Meyer is paid by Fox, but um... – he last year, obviously, there was a lot of conversation around USC. Um, I would not be surprised if USC kicks that can in the future. And Texas, if it ends up having to part ways with Tom Herman and after Saturday's baffling performance um, in terms of miscues and self-imposed errors, I would not be surprised if that's going to be Tom Herman's fate at the end of this year, uh, given the way things are going. Uh, everybody's first choice is going to be Urban Meyer. Uh, he's going to be the most popular coaching candidate in college football. Um, He left Ohio State two years ago with a $7.6 million salary. If somebody's going to get him more amount of retirement, which he's insisted he's very happy with, I'm betting that number is somewhere around 9 to $10 million. Um, He is a national championship coach. He's a proven uh, program builder. And teams are going to be bidding against each other to try to hire him in the future. So he's got to be feeling great. And I don't... I don't know if people remember, but Tom Herman and Urban Meyer used to work together, but they don't have the best relationship anymore. Um, there was an issue at a satellite camp like four or five years ago where they butted heads kind of really early in Tom's tenure. Um, the Zach Smith stuff took a really big toll on their relationship as well. So I, I get the feeling Urban probably uh, was a little gleeful watching Texas fall apart like that on Saturday, not just for financial reasons in the future, potentially. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I think that Urban Meyer would maybe relish the opportunity to show Tom Herman that it actually isn't that hard to win <laughs> at Texas. So 
So we'll move on. But yeah, anyways, Urban Meyer has, he's probably loving this. He's, he's already a, um, a candidate number one at, at a few schools, Texas and maybe USC. And, and I think Longhorn fans would be over the moon to get him. Um, the ACC was a winner. It feels like the ACC is always a conference we're making fun of, Chris, but Clemson looked like college football's pure number one team on Saturday night uh, with a big win over Miami, uh, 42-17. to And then the conference, with the AP poll coming out, has three teams ranked in the top five. Thank you, Notre Dame, for joining us this year. Four total in the top 25 with Virginia Tech. And then Boston College is 3-1 and one and maybe deserves to be ranked after they beat Pittsburgh. So I think... This this conference has finally shed its reputation as you know soft or, or you know on the Big Twelve Pac 12s level and, and is it looks like there are other teams now to join Clemson in the, in the hunt in the ACC. Yeah, this is the best the ACC's been since probably 2016. Um, I don't people probably don't remember that season all that well in terms of the schedule, but Clemson that year had a really tough path through the ACC. Um, obviously, Lamar Jackson was at uh, Louisville kind of making noise, but teams like NC State were ranked. Um, Florida State was pretty decent back then. Virginia Tech was a threat. Like there was some really decent quality teams in the ACC. And this year's ACC kind of, especially at the top, is much stronger. Um, I don't know how for real North or North Carolina and Notre Dame are, but given what we've seen so far, they're undefeated and legitimate threats. Um, kind of at least um, to stay in the top 10 for a while, given the way the schedules shake out. Clemson's still obviously the class of the league, but there is more depth. Um, obviously, it's concerning when a team like Florida State, one of those standard bearers of the conference is as bad as it is. But I think Clemson's doing enough standard bearing for everybody on its own. So, yeah, great time for the ACC. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to circle everything back to Texas, but interesting to see Mac Brown having turned things around so quickly at North Carolina after being shown the door at Texas. Yeah, they're number five in the country. And before we move on, this week Clemson got 59 first place votes in the AP poll. Last week they had gotten 52. So the impression that Clemson made, while Alabama and uh, while Alabama at least was was in a dogfight with Ole Miss, I think resonated with yeah, with Clemson listeners. Clemson looks like the most complete team in the country right now. I was one of those people on the Alabama kind of bandwagon as the number one team, but I don't think you have a choice but to admit Clemson being the most complete team in the country right. When the Big Ten comes back, how would you rank the top five conferences or the, the five power five conferences? That's a great question. Uh, are you probably in the Pac-12 too? Probably SEC's down this year. It really depends on how good the top of the Big Ten is. I really think the Big Ten has an argument to be number one over the SEC right now. That league has more depth than normal at the bottom. Anyway, um, probably. Probably SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, given what we've seen so far. Yeah, yeah. All right. The last winner we have, CBS, We Are Company Men. Bama and Georgia survived tricky tests and now have a primetime nighttime game coming up on Saturday. And there are so many storylines that we're going to talk about and so many storylines that CBS gets to get us jacked up for. Kirby versus Saban. Alabama's incredible offense versus this historic Georgia defense. Georgia's offense that is really still hard to to trust that they can be playoff worthy against an Alabama defense that just got torched by Ole Miss and uh, gave up 48 points. I can't wait, and I think it's going to be the game of the year. 
Yeah, this I, I know it's not a traditional game of the century uh, with the number one and two ranking, but this is probably as close as we're going to get this year in the regular season. Um, Georgia's defense is historically good um, for it to kind of be putting up the numbers it is in this kind of spread heavy era. It's just really impressive. You have to you have to give it up to Don Lanning, Kirby Smart, and that entire kind of defense. They brought almost everybody back, and that unit just swarms people. Alabama looks unstoppable in offense again. Uh, Mac Jones has taken over kind of where Tua Tonga left off. They are really deep at wide receiver. They've got Najee Harris looking like a Heisman candidate at running back. That offensive line is great. Like that unit's going to put up points. And that kind of clash between those two kind of sides is going to be really compelling. But I think this game is going to be just a really fascinating test to see which team's weakness is going to buckle first. For Alabama, we saw them really struggle on Saturday against Ole Miss's offense. Um, that defense looked awful. It looked like 2019 all over again, which is not a good sign for the tides, uh, national title hopes. On the other side, you have Georgia's offense, which, while talented, has Stetson Bennett leading the way. And I'm sure the Georgia message boards are in love with Stetson Bennett. It's a really great story, and I think it's a really special college football thing to be happening. But at the end of the day, you watch Stetson Bennett, and you always come away thinking, there were four or five throws in that game he either couldn't make or should have made that just aren't connected that they're going to cost them against a great team. Tennessee's not a great team yet. Alabama is. And I'm fascinated to see how those kind of two weaknesses clash on Saturday. I think whoever, whichever side of that kind of battle plays better is going to win. Alabama opened as a six-point favorite. If you are going to say that Stetson Bennett outduels Mac Jones, who's playing like a first-round pick, then that means you believe that Georgia's defense is better than advertised. So I'll just leave that there. I think Alabama wins. I think Alabama maybe gets got somewhere this year, probably not until the playoff, because what Ole Miss did to Alabama, I don't see another SEC West team, with the exception of Mississippi State, you know, having the offensive creative capabilities of doing. Georgia's not going to to give Alabama the same problems that Ole Miss did and and be, unless Stetson Bennett turns into Matt Corral within the next five days. So I don't see that happening, but regardless, it's going to be a great game. Um, yeah. Okay, losers. I think Nick Saban even like suggested yesterday that Ole Miss might've stolen or not stolen, but figured out their signals on defense. That's how bad it was defensively for Alabama. I don't expect that to repeat on Saturday, especially with Stetson Bennett under center, but Georgia's offense is also significantly more difficult. The de- defense is more significantly more deal with than what Alabama faced with Old Miss. Yeah, I kind of thought it was lame. We talked about stealing signals. Like, all right, like let's 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 save the excuses. I um, mean, Nick, speaking Nick's taken like Nick's historically has taken his L's. Like, if he's suggesting that, like, there, I I think there might have been something to that. The College Football Daily will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right. Well, I got. I got. As we move into the three losers, I'm gonna. I'm gonna start with someone who's not taking their L very well. Pardon my like the opinion here, but Dan Mullen calling for the swamp to get to be packed with ninety thousand people, and and th- and blaming Florida's loss to Texas A&M on crowd noise of. You know, Kyle Field said it was 25% capacity. I don't know if I believe that. I would say 50,000 people maybe were there just by the eye test. It was I, I just thought that was outrageous for him to 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 suggest that Florida, the university, needs to follow um, Governor Ron DeSantis' new order as they move into phase three, that they are allowed to have full stadiums if they want to, which would mean 90,000 people. Um, apparently, Scott Strickland is not the AD at Florida, is not down with that plan. He texted the Orlando Sentinel that they're going to follow the the Florida uh, University campus health guidelines and, and the swamp will not have 90,000 people. But like Dan Mullen, I get you're frustrated. I get your defense. You gave up 543 yards and, and surrendered a career day to Kellen Mond. And, and he did say things need to change on defense. But for him to act like that was a crowd noise issue is as, wide of, as to why Florida lost and that he wants to see 90,000 people at his next football game was – I said clownish. It was just irresponsible and, and just kind of silly. Yeah, irresponsible is a great word. It was extremely tone deaf. Um, I, I realize we're, we're pushing through COVID-19 and playing college football season. I think that's great for the student athletes. I think it's honestly, it's great for the fans. Um, but to suggest that 90,000 people should pack into a stadium in Gainesville this Saturday, just so Florida has a home field advantage and has uh, kind of edge in its next matchup is patently ridiculous during the middle of the pandemic. There, there's no other way to describe it. Like I'm sure some Florida fans would just feel great about going in there and doing so. And that's everybody's prerogative, but it's up to public figures like Dan Mullen to kind of set the right example. And he, he did the exact opposite of that on Saturday. He just looked like what we all think college football coaches are at times, which is just like robots who only care about winning. And that's how Dan Mullen came across. Um, he didn't have an advantage on Saturday with Texas A&M fans being loud. And Texas A&M fans are always loud, no matter the capacity. And he wanted the same thing the following week uh, during his home game. It, I don't know. I, childish might be too strong of a word, but it was it was certainly tone deaf. And it was it was really tough to see. Like he, It's just kind of an irresponsible message. Yeah, he, he was wearing a mask. And, and, and you know, that's, that's great. But... I remember thinking like late Saturday night, how glad I was that we had a college football season because it was such a fun day of football. And to just sit there and act like, you know, we need to have 90,000 there. Like, come on, like, let's, like, let's, you know, we'll move on, but let's, let's be glad that we have this and that we can get any fans in the stands. Um, Because if you had told us in August, in early August, that this would all be happening, I think a lot of us would have said, no way. So Dan Mullen, figure out the defense. Don't really worry about 50,000 people at Kyle Field. Um, 
bothering you. It, it's, it's, it's something that, that teams will in a normal year have to overcome times two. So we'll move on. Um, yeah, and that's, school- that's, a, that's a great point, by the way, like that was not normal for Kyle field. Kyle field is usually four times as loud as that. And for Dan Mullen to kind of use that as an excuse for the reason his defense got lit up by Kellen Mond is kind of weak. Yeah, it was. Um, all right. Another loser, the category of schools being back that we all want in the national media to be back that are not back. We already talked about Texas. Texas is definitely not back. They lost 53 to 45 to Oklahoma. Miami lost 42 to 17 at Clemson. Tennessee was up at half at Georgia and they lost 44 to 21. I think Tennessee should feel pretty good about the progress it's making. It's a quarterback away. I don't know if that quarterback's currently on the roster. It might be true freshman Harrison Bailey, but it's a really good offensive line. I think they have the bones to be a really solid team in the SEC. And for now, maybe be no worse than third in the next year or two in the SEC East, just because of the way they're going to play football and recruit under Jeremy Pruitt. Miami's a little bit more interesting. Clemson made De'Eric King look like a uh, someone who had no business being on any sort of Heisman list. I wonder if that's just the product of playing Clemson as De'Eric King was 12 for 28 with 121 yards, two interceptions, and running back Cameron Harris had eight carries for three yards. I wonder if that's just what happens when you play an angry Clemson team or if that's or if this Miami team was really just vastly overrated by all of us. I don't I don't think Miami's vastly overrated. I think Clemson's really good and Miami I guess I guess Miami was slightly overrated. I just think we took the Miami hype a little too far. Miami being ranked 7 in the country was not a product of anything but two like two conferences not really in being involved in the top 10 mix. We overvalued a win over Florida State, the program that's really reeling. We overvalued a win over Louisville, a team that's 1 and 3. Kind of start Great point. The season. Great point. That that win over Louisville on was that was the September nineteenth weekend with a horrible slate, like right the worst ever. Yeah, it was and bad. that was the ABC primetime game, and Miami really took it to them yeah. against a Louisville team that we had a lot of respect for coming into the season, and so that was what everyone watched that Saturday, and that's what everyone talked about in the college football world on on Sunday. Um, and that's I I think you're right that that did color our perception and. And when you look now at Louisville losing to Georgia Tech and, and not being good, I do I do wonder if if Miami if if we forgot all about last season when saying that they're back and, and they've turned a corner because last year was really bad for them and Manny Diaz was maybe lucky to come out of there with his job. Up next for for Miami, I, I would um, I would just say like I think there's a difference between like people who were saying Miami's back are silly. Like Miami was not back, but to say Miami turned a corner. I think is fair. There were significant strides shown by that team, especially on offense. Quarterback is much better. The running back room is good. Uh, Rhett Lashley looks like a real answer offensive coordinator. I think you can glean all of those things early without kind of going overboard, which I think some people did. And like, you just have to like going into that game. And like, I expected Clemson to cover pretty easily just because Miami's offensive line is not good enough to contend in these games yet. Um, Miami has problems at receiver. There are like some pretty glaring issues, but I think Miami certainly improved. I just think it, people were going a little overboard with the hype heading into this game just because it was one versus seven. When in reality, like Miami's a good team. It's just not the seventh best team in the country. So up next for Miami, Pittsburgh, Virginia at NC State. It's pretty winnable. 
So we're going to see. We're going to find out. Miami could uh, Miami could easily be a eight and two team or a seven and three team by season's end, and that would be an excellent season. All right, uh, someone who's not going to be seven and three. Our final loser of the night or the morning, uh, Ed Orgeron and Bo Pelini, the LSU head coach and his new defensive coordinator. They lost to Missouri, forty-five to forty-one. Gave up five hundred and eighty-six yards of offense to the Tigers, um, the wrong Tigers who were being captained by quarterback Connor Bazelak, making his first career start. And it's a little bit irresistible to start making the Gene Chizik comparisons to Ed Orgeron, who struck lightning in the bottle with an all-time roster and an all-time quarterback in 2019, lost all of it in 2020, and now at 1-2, and two, LSU looks like it might be lucky to be 500 at the end of the year. I mean, I think Ed Orgeron's a good coach, but I don't think that... The Gene Chizik comparisons don't feel like absurd right now. Uh, the LSU is just really bad. Um, I think anybody who picked LSU to finish second or third in the SEC West this year was probably fooling themselves. You don't lose 17 starters and as much production as LSU did and expect a rebound. But it's been flat and embarrassing early on this season uh, with everything going on. Um, you could argue LSU has played three of the worst four teams in the SEC, and it's one and two so far. The only win it has came over a hapless Vanderbilt team. Uh, we've still got Florida on the schedule. We've still got Auburn on the schedule. We've still got Alabama on the schedule. We've got Texas A&M on the schedule. We've got Ole Miss on the schedule. Ooh. All of those could be losses with the way LSU is playing right now. All of those teams have better offensive attacks than the teams LSU has played so far. And I get that Ed Orgeron's kind of taking the blame, but I think if you're going to place any blame on Ed Orgeron, it goes to paying Bo Pelini $2.2 million this offseason to be his DC. That was a parachute payment, by the way. Bo Pelini was at Youngstown State. That program is struggling, and he essentially just got a parachute payment to come to Baton Rouge and be the defensive coordinator. And, like, it's not 2007 anymore. That 2007 LSU defense Bo Pelini led was excellent. He was one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. But the last couple of weeks, he's looked stubborn and has failed to make adjustments. And it's it's kind of difficult to watch, given all the talent LSU has on that side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, Mississippi State got stomped by Kentucky. The offense didn't register any points. Mississippi State had two points thanks to his safety. Um, and the week before, they had lost to Arkansas. So, the, and, and, you know, in, in week one, Mississippi State was a toast of college football for setting offensive and passing records against LSU. And it, it's just like the Miami thing where we say, oh, the, the Louisville win does not look nearly as good anymore. LSU's loss to Mississippi State looks so much worse now than it did back in week one. So much worse. And we got to throw some props to Miles Brennan and that offense. They were the problem, we thought, after week one. He's really looked good. They, you know, really dishing the ball around, finding Terrace Marshall, Eric Gilbert. Not an issue, but this defense is horrible and it's not a stretch as we talk about ed orgeron being gene chiswick maybe and and we'll you know we'll we'll have that that, that'll be a 2021 answer but bo pelini is absolutely coaching for his job in the next few weeks i believe that i believe that from from what i've seen on our go 24 7 board um from our insiders there and, and from the fans like this is not this is not going well for him and uh coach o is gonna have to pull a rabbit out of his hat yeah, and um, as you said, everything seemed to kind of align perfectly in 2019, and everything's kind of off the rails in 2020, and the best coaches kind of find a way to steer 
their teams back from moments like this. We saw Ed Orgeron do that once in his past. Um, that Troy loss had kind of the wolves circling Ed, or- circling Ed Orgeron, and he rallied, and he's going to have to do something similar again. But this lo- th- this play is just it's just simply baffling. I know we harp on a lot of other programs like Texas, Miami, and Tennessee about their struggles the last decade, but given the talent LSU has on defense, there's absolutely no excuse for this. And Ed Orgeron does have to get this figured out very quickly. And Bo Pelini is certainly in the crosshairs of everybody in Baton Rouge right now. Absolutely. All right, we'll wrap this up. It was a really fun weekend of football. Uh, for more of Chris's work, go check out College of All Overtime. Chris wrote a column on Tom Herman, probably on, on a raging hot, hot seat. He wrote even about how weird the Texas OU experience was. So uh, thanks for joining us, Chris. I know you're probably exhausted. We'll, uh, we'll cut this out. And we'll uh, we'll let you go get some sleep and and, and hit the, hit the ground running on Monday.